I'm Mark Nicholson from Pitcher Pharmacy, and today I'm joined by Professor Trent Toomey, President of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Welcome, Trent, and thank you for making the time to talk with me today. My pleasure, Mark. Good to be here. I've been fortunate to know Trent since he first acquired his two successful pharmacies in Cairns and Townsville many years ago. I've witnessed his development into a leading industry advocate who I believe is building a legacy that will eventually see him compared to some of his esteemed predecessors. Professor Toomey is also the Vice President of the World Pharmacy Council, the current Director and former Chair of Advanced Cairns, Chair of Anglicare North Queensland, and former National President of the Australasian College of Pharmacy. He's married to another pharmacy owner, Georgina Toomey, and is the father of two school-aged children. With all those responsibilities, I'm not sure how he's managed to find time to talk to me today to discuss one of the biggest career-changing projects on pharmacy's agenda, and that is the expansion of scope of practice to incorporate prescribing for everyday health conditions. Following the success of COVID vaccine delivery across the country, there is now a pilot project underway in Queensland for UTI and oral contraceptives, which will be mirrored in New South Wales and Victoria in the near future. Specifically, I want to explore with Trent what this means in a business context for pharmacies and patients and the likely time frame before it becomes a commercial reality for the industry. So where do we start, Trent? Um, there's, a, there's a big agenda <laughs> um, that's been rolled out and well done on a, another successful APP where you uh, directly addressed um, this particular topic in a, in a broad-ranging address mm. to um, pharmacists generally. Um, is this one of the biggest uh, agenda items that you have for the coming years? Well, it is a big agenda item, but I think the best place to start is with the patient. Um, and they're at the centre of it all. And there are 26 million Australians who have, quite rightly, an expectation of access to a certain of level of care from their healthcare system, a healthcare system that by world standards is very good. Uh, but a healthcare system that is struggling to meet the demands and preferences of, as I say, 26 million Australians that live right across this uh, this great country, a very large country, um, and having a universal healthcare system, whether it's through our hospitals, whether it's through our medical benefit scheme or indeed our pharmaceutical benefit scheme, and ensuring that people in in the Torres Strait Islands can receive the same level of service as people in Townsville or people in Turak, I think is is the the struggle that is before our decision makers, but it is something that we can, as a community pharmacy sector, most definitely um, assist in, in meeting. Which is one of the key reasons I presume that North Queensland is the um, starting point for the pilot project? Yeah, well, when we look overseas market, the practice of community pharmacy. And of course, you know, we, we looked at the other OECD or Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is the 38 countries that have agreed to benchmark themselves in all aspects of their economy. But uh, that organisation is playing a greater role in benchmarking healthcare systems. And when we had a look at Canada, when we had a look at the United Kingdom, when we had a look at other Northern American and European states, the practice of community pharmacy in Australia um, is exceptionally narrow. And what that means is the level of services that an Australian can receive from their local community pharmacy compared to what the residents and citizens of those other developed countries can receive from their community pharmacy is... Uh, by extension, very narrow. And so 
if I look at this as uh, through the lens of, of opportunity, then it means there is a great opportunity for decision makers at state and territory governments, a great opportunity for them to capitalise on a highly skilled, highly trained workforce that is distributed um, right across the country. So how many pharmacies in North Queensland are participating in this project? So at last count, there are 175 pharmacies across those 26 local government areas and 135 of them signed up within the first week. 350 pharmacists signed up within the first week. Um, this is an outstanding number, something that um, has certainly surprised me as a clinician and as a guild leader. Um, it has surprised pleasantly so the, the Queensland government, but it just shows that not only are patients in that footprint demanding uh, to receive more from their local pharmacies, but the pharmacists that are running those pharmacies are eager and keen to to be more and, and do more. So it's exceptionally heartening to see that that we've got the, the balance right. And does the existing consulting room set up that most pharmacies have satisfy the needs of the project or is it needed to be some um, development of the pharmacy physically, environment-wise? Mm for the pharmacist to actually deliver within the project? Sure. So there are certain requirements mm. for the practice and certain requirements for the practitioner to be able to participate in this pilot. And it's not just about the physical infrastructure, albeit that is important. It's about the virtual infrastructure as well. So the pharmacy must be QCPP accredited to ensure that there are the right systems and processes in place to ensure proper clinical governance oversight by the community pharmacy owner. There must be a consultation room, as you say, because a lot of the services that will be provided, it is appropriate that they are done in a private setting as opposed to um, in the footprint of a normal community pharmacy. Um, and the uh, the pharmacy must also be integrated to not only things like the Australian Immunisation Register and the My Health Record, but they must have the appropriate clinical recording software to ensure that um, all of the aspects of the occasions of service they are providing are, are captured properly and can be measured. But then there's the requirements for the practitioner. So not only does the, the practitioner need to hold general registration with the Pharmacy Board of Australia with no conditions on their registration, they must have already completed the urinary tract infection training to provide that occasion of service. They must have already completed their vaccination training um, and they must be prepared to enrol in uh, the 12-month body of work akin to a graduate certificate with the Australasian College of Pharmacy in partnership with QUT and James Cook University. So... There are many safety mechanisms in place, both around the physical and virtual infrastructure of the practice, but also the skills and knowledge of the practitioner to ensure that um, the services delivered are of the highest quality and are of, of um, best practice standard. And from a commercial perspective, how does the patient uh, or consumer become aware that this service is now available in the, in the pilot pharmacies? Sure. So um, many of the listeners will be aware that there were restrictions in advertising around the vaccination pilot in 2016, again, around the urinary tract infection uh, pilot that was conducted about 36 months ago. Queensland Health are acutely aware that the benefits of this pilot, indeed, one of the reasons for the pilot is that patients will be able to uh, ask their pharmacist instead of blocking or clogging up an emergency department with what is referred to as a potentially preventable hospital presentation, where there are 
332 localities nationwide, but many dozens in this footprint where there are no general practitioner that uh, those those citizens will be able to ask their pharmacists for further services. So there is going to be a need of promotion. Um, the Queensland government were doing that. Of course, the college and the guild will be doing uh, will be doing those promotions to ensure awareness of those extra services. Um, but uh, um, as you know, Mark, there are 450 million occasions of service delivered through the 6,000 pharmacies nationwide. And, and uh, what, we, what we believe will happen is that instead of a pharmacist having to refer for, um, for a treatment um, for a patient that is already presenting, they'll be able to give them the proper clinical service consistent with therapeutic guidelines then and there, because this isn't just about getting more people into pharmacy. This is about properly servicing clinically those patients that are already presenting that currently we cannot. Trent, are the New South Wales and Victorian pilot projects going to mirror the Queensland pilot project? So we have seen commitments from uh, both the MINS um, newly minted government in New South Wales, um, the Andrews government in Victoria, that they will be rolling out uh, their full scope of practice pilots. They have not yet settled on what the exact parameters are of that. But what we know from the Commonwealth Government's Strengthening Medicare Task Force is that there is a recommendation that has been adopted by National Cabinet, which includes not just the Prime Minister, but all of the First Ministers around our Federation, including the two I just mentioned, that commits them to utilising all uh, practitioners in their workforce, explicitly pharmacists, to practising practicing to their full scope. We saw Minister Butler speak in front of 7,500 pharmacists and pharmacy assistants at last week's APP that he is having conversations with his state and territory health ministers about a nationally consistent rollout. So the Guildmark is working with all of those jurisdictions to ensure that um, to the greatest extent possible we have national consistency. But um, where we stand here today having this conversation, the only publicly available terms of reference for the pilots is that in Queensland. Okay, and I understand it's a user-pay model and that there is no government funding involved. Is that correct? So, so the, the Queensland pilot is a user-pays pilot, um, as is the urinary tract infection module. What we saw in what we have seen, rather, in New South Wales in Victoria is the allocation of funds specifically for services um, in the area of women's health. So whether that is the provision of hormonal contraception or the provision of a short course of antibiotics for the treatment of an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. So we are seeing state and territories uh, commit funds to covering the out-of-pocket expenses uh, for their citizens because they know um, that um, this will relieve the pressure on on their emergency department. So, um, but there is no Commonwealth government funding available in a nationally consistent or meaningful way to cover the out of pocket expenses in this um, full scale practice arena as yet. Despite the fact that it would remove the cost from the MBS for normal uh, GP visits. Well, listen, it's interesting, isn't it, when we look at the health economics of the medical benefit scheme. Um, the medical benefit scheme is an uncapped demand-driven scheme. And whilst you are completely correct, the cost per occasion of service of providing in a community pharmacy setting is less than the cost of a service in either a general practice setting or, or indeed at its extreme in an emergency department, either as an outpatient or an inpatient. Because the MBS scheme is demand-driven, um, one avoidable presentation, unfortunately, um, uh, does not save a dollar. What it does... And I'm not belittling 
um, the, the, the benefit of the solution is that it reduces the waiting time. So where we see the average wait time in a major metropolitan area is four days to see a general practitioner and three weeks in regional rural remote Australia, that's where the benefit will be. We will see a reduction in how long Australians have to wait to see their GP. Um, we won't see a saving um, because of a reduction in the number of GP visits. Does this mean that it's up to the pharmacy as to how much they would ultimately charge the patient or is this going to be either mandated by state government in some way or recommended by the Guild? So um, we're seeing the exact same uh, process that was that was uh, followed through the vaccination training pilot and then through the urinary tract infection pilot. The out-of-pocket fees are mandated. They're not optional. They can't be waived. Um, most importantly, um, as a practitioner, they can't charge more than what is prescribed in the pilot either. Uh, but uh, once this pilot finishes and these occasions of service are embedded into permanent practice, then market forces will um, will take over. So, um, And that's why you see differing out-of-pocket expenses for um, obtaining a vaccination from community pharmacies now because they are permanent practice. And, and now that the UTI solution in the state of Queensland is permanent practice, um, you're seeing different prices being charged at different community pharmacies as well. But uh, to specifically answer your question, um, there is a short standard and long consultation that has a dollar figure attached to it. Each of the 27 different services or conditions are allocated by the pilot as either a short standard or long. And that is a not a discretionary fee. That's a, a mandated fee that must be charged by the, the practice to, to the patient. And that will be consistent from state to state? Uh, well, um, we don't know yet um, because we don't have those rolled out, those those terms and conditions rolled out in other jurisdictions. All we have to talk on today is is what the Queensland Government has set it at. So if you could just walk us through a practical patient experience, they presumably um, a female would be aware of that service in the pharmacy and they would walk in and present, um, then they ref or is there a booking system, for example? Is it going to be an online booking system or do they present and then mm. um, it's it's they're referred to the consulting room or immediately mm. or they have to make a booking? Is it they'll be they, both. They'll be both. Yeah, yeah, they'll be both. And and it's exactly in the same way as the vaccination services. It depends on the pharmacist on duty on that day. And as you know, um, from from your clients in your book, and I know from my pharmacies in 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 my group, um, I have some who are very eager vaccinators um, and who have the portal open uh, from eight a.m. till eight p.m. Um, they also take walk-ins, and then I have other more conservative practitioners who block it out between ten and two when their prescription volume is is um, is very large, um, and they don't take walk-ins and. And this is why these tools are so important and that they be controlled by the pharmacist on duty because um, different practitioners um, have um, a different capacity depending on their, their experience. Um, pharmacies have different prescription volumes um, and pharmacists have different levels of experience. So there is no one size fits all. Um, and just as uh, pharmacists are able to choose how they manage that workflow with vaccinations. They will be empowered to choose how they manage the the workflow with with full scope. But to give you a few clinical examples of this in practice, so we all know as pharmacists um, of patients that overuse their um, salbutamol inhaler, so their S three ventilant, and every time they present, 
and we have a conversation, let's call him Jim, of overusing his Ventolin puffer and how important it is for him to go and have an appointment with his general practitioner um, to get on a preventative puffer because it is in his, uh, in clinically in his best interest, he just refuses to do so. Um, now I will be able to um, uh, opportunistically, when Jim presents, to get his S3 salbutamol, be able to have a conversation with him in the pharmacy um, and initiate a preventative inhaler. Not only will it be cheaper for him long-term, cheaper for the health system long-term, but it is also clinically a, a better level of service. We've also got examples, Mark, of um, uh, women overusing um, the emergency contraception. And we all know in the clinical guidelines that the emergency contraception is to be used as just that, um, a, a form of contraception of last resort. But we all have been presented with clinically in real practice of women that are overusing this as their standard form of contraception. And we refer as we're required to each and every time for her to have a conversation with her general practitioner, but for whatever reason, she doesn't. And now we will be able to initiate some form of hormonal contraception, whether that be a depot injection or the oral contraceptive, which is going to be clinically safer for her. And, and the list goes on and on. So this isn't just about um, citizens being aware that they can get this service and booking online or coming in to ask their pharmacist for things they ordinarily haven't been able to. This is about the pharmacist opportunistically now being able to provide them with a better level of care rather than just referring to a GP that doesn't exist or to an emergency department that is plagued with ramping. On the assumption that the patient is willing and prepared to pay for that consult, of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, and, and an important part of the consultation, and this is why there's the education in it, not only is there as we said before, the appropriate clinical setting to have these conversations in. Um, but the patient also doesn't have to take the advice of the pharmacist because um, having a clinical conversation does not oblige the individual from accepting the pharmacist's recommendation. And it will be exactly the same. They will be able to take this script with them and think about it. They'll be able to take the script with them and get it dispensed at another pharmacy if indeed they wish, or they will be able to, if it is their decision, um, uh, take the pharmacist's recommendation, receive the prescription, get it dispensed then and there. And, and this is all about preserving that important aspect of, of patient choice. Um, and that is why part of this education is ensuring that um, patient choice is respected and that the pharmacist has the appropriate pause when they are consulting that allows the, the patient choice to either avail, um, not avail, or, or go away and think about it. So, Trent, what is the mandated cost to a patient for either a short or long consult? Sure. So, as I said before, there are three levels of consultation and they're time-based and, and they're called a short standard or a long consultation. And they are directly related to um, how long it will take the pharmacist to have an appropriate clinical conversation with that patient. So, it's, just, it's directly associated with the complexity of the condition um, that the pharmacist is having the, uh, the conversation with the patient about. So, a short consultation is one that is defined as less than 15 minutes. Um, and the indicative price uh, in the pilot is between 20 and 25 a final price will be settled on before the pilot launches. The standard consultation is one that requires greater than 15 but less than 30, and that is $30. And a longer consultation is one that requires a greater than 30-minute consultation, and that is set at $55. 
if that is done in a consult room as um, as is required, um, from mm. my understanding, then mm. given the cost of pharmacist time, salary, and also the cost of uh, running a consult room with rent, etc., then mm. in the, in this instance around the uh, pilot study, it would appear that um, the revenue is probably not going to match the cost. So it, it's it seems like it's an investment in pharmacy into the, into the future. Um, is that the way you see it, or do you see it as um, as the revenue being commercially sort of matching up with the the costs? Uh, well, this is not designed to be a standalone business model. This is designed to be a clinical service that is a, an adjunct to the um, general community pharmacy. Um, and unfortunately, Mark, you know, when you have a look at the um, two pilots that I mentioned before, specifically the uh, vaccination pilot, and we had a service fee of $30, mm. I think it was from memory, when we conducted that pilot in 2016. As soon as it went open source, you saw $14.99 vaccines, right? It's really hard for the Guild to negotiate high professional service fees when the market constantly discounts the professional time and service um, of a community pharmacist. So um, until we can start teaming up with good people like yourselves and we can stop our own members from uh, bastardising their own professional worth, it is going to remain difficult for the Guild to negotiate higher professional service fees. Um, but also what we're up against, as you know, is a review currently of the MBS item schedules. It's called the Strengthening um, Medicare Task Force. Um, and there are already in market short standard and long fees for nurse practitioners and short standard and long fees for general practitioners. Um, you know, and until that, and it's happening parallel, uh, but until those benchmarks are also raised, it's going to be harder to negotiate a professional service fee for a time-based consultation for a pharmacist that um, is larger than the professional service fees that the taxpayer are paying general practitioners. Yeah, my um, concern from a commercial perspective is that this will be an overwhelming success and that there is overwhelming demand in the, um, in the marketplace for uh, busy people who uh, mm. want to just turn up to the pharmacy as opposed to uh, book into a GP clinic and days ahead or weeks ahead often um, and mm. then sit around a GP clinic. So I've got no doubt that this will be overwhelmingly successful. Uh, you actually see in the marketplace GPs um, complaining about the level of um, government remuneration via the MBS for mm. uh, certain mm. items and as a result of demand and supply, et cetera, we're seeing the removal of bulk billing and, and charges mm. coming on top. Um, so if you're looking at an average, say, $50 of government payment for some of these bulk bill items or, or thereabouts, stand to be corrected, but that's largely mm. my understanding, mm. um, and it doesn't work in a commercial sense for GPs at $50 a, a consult payment from the government without getting a top-up from the patient, then mm. when you reduce to $25 a consult in the pilot, and I, I recognise that it's a pilot, that the ability for pharmacy to scale and handle that demand while taking pressure 
uh, and cost away from the MBS, then um, something else will need to be done once it's proven to be a success to make it um, commercially stack up for um, the demand that's going to flow. I agree. So that, so if we if we cast our mind, I'm. I'm Thank you for your agreement on my commercial assessment. <laughs> well, my, well, 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 remember, uh, you're my accountant. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I, I, I do agree. And, and with, with all of these things, um, you know, the harshest critic I've got of everything I do is, is, is one Mrs. Georgina Toomey who happens to be up in the footprint, right, um, who's running our group. Um, I, I completely agree. But um, unfortunately... Um, uh, our pilot is not happening in splendid isolation from about um, 100 other moving parts that's happening in Australia's healthcare system at the moment. And the simple reality is we're going to have to wait till those other reviews conclude. Um, and um, uh, I think you can just take it as a given um, that the Guild and, and, and me personally will always be pushing to ensure that not only do we get um, recompensed for what our professional worth is as an individual practitioner, but the capital that a community pharmacy owner um, invests to ensure that there are those access points where there are no other access points gets a proper return. Mm. Um, but, mate, that's why it's a pilot um, and, um, and, and, you know... Um, uh, hopefully it. that's one of the outcomes of the pilot. Build it and they will come, as they say. Yeah, mate. That's it. Uh, so if, we, if we're looking down the timeline, then mm. to get, get the industry ready and get, get everything on a commercial footing um, mm. and have the, you know, be training from the ground up, so to speak, how mm. many years, presumably years, before it actually becomes a um, standard offering within the, your local community pharmacy? Sure. Um, so again, um, uh, there are a lot of opinions in this. So I always like to use real life examples. So in vaccinations, the first needle by an Australian pharmacist was put in a patient's arm in 2016, right? So we're still not a decade in to pharmacists participating in the vaccination market. Nine and a half million COVID-19 vaccines were administered by community pharmacists um, uh, in the last calendar year. But also uh, we administered nearly a quarter, 24.6% of all the influenza vaccines delivered in Australia last year. And we didn't have an equal footing. Not all pharmacists in all jurisdictions had access to the National Immunisation Program stockpile for those free vaccines for over the age of 65 and the other eligible patient cohorts. We did not have a universally accessible payment system. So uh, an Australian, and we did not have universal accessibility, and we still don't. So what we're seeing each and every year, specifically with vaccines and more specifically with the influenza market, is a closing of the gap between what patients can access that product from and that service from a general practitioner vis-a-vis -vis what patients can access that product and service from a community pharmacy. And when I say access, I just don't mean does Queensland, for example, allow me to vaccinate a six-month-old for influenza. It means is the Commonwealth Government providing a payment to ensure that that particular uh, um, First Nations child does not have to um, come up with or their parents don't have to come up with the fee to cover the out-of-pocket expense. So when Australians can choose to walk through door A or door B and they are not discriminated against by who can receive that service and how much they have to pay, I have no doubt that Australians will choose their community pharmacy as their preferred provider. So if we had from 2016 
when the first vaccination was given to 2022 and we had just under a quarter of all that um, of that market going through our doors. I have no doubt we will be the majority um, provider uh, within a 10-year period. Now, if you go to the next service, urinary tract infections, and then you go to the next um, rollout, which is this full scope of practice pilot in northern Queensland, it will follow the same path, but it won't take 10 years, right? It will be quicker each and every time we roll something out. So if we look at these conditions that comprise at the moment the North Queensland pilot, um, we already saw uh, Premier Minns in the lead up to the New South Wales election commit to rolling this out statewide in New South Wales. So that will happen this calendar year. It will be then very difficult for Premier Palaszczuk to um, have a conversation with her constituents um, in the Gold Coast about why Minns constituents in the Tweed Heads can receive the services but hers can't. So I think the next thing you'll see then is a statewide rollout in Queensland. I think you will then find it in a very difficult position for Premier Andrews to have a conversation in much the same way about Tweed Heads Gold Coast as he does um, about other um, parts of the world, um, you know, that uh, Aubrey Wodonga, for example, about why one on one side of the street can do something that someone on the other side of the street can't. So what I think you will see, Mark, in, in uh, not the next number of years, but this calendar year, 2023, you will start to see the rollout of full scope of practice, either services being delivered or at least the scope committed to and training have started across the majority of Australia's um, state and territory jurisdictions. And that's what the Guild is working towards. So if that's the case, right, um, if we looked at the length the pilots ran for for vaccines and the lengths the pilot ran for for UTIs, and it was somewhere between 18 and 24 months before statistical significance was reached and the researchers were happy to uh, draw a line in the sand of, of the pilot and present their studies to ethics, have that signed off and presented to decision makers for embedding in permanent practice. So I think you're seeing within a 36-month period of time that these pilots would have finished, I have no doubt, and I agree with you that they will be successful and they will be embedded in, in permanent practice. And so um, if the enthusiastic roll-up of pharmacists and pharmacies in northern Queensland is to be replicated across Australia, then we're talking about universal access inside five years. That's really good news, Trent. And um, being the political operative yourself, I presume there's some <laughs> benefit um, to the Guild in having all governments uh, aligned to um, being one particular party at the moment? Oh, um, don't forget about Tasmania, Mark. No, no, no I, don't, um, I, don't want to, I don't mean to exclude Tasmania. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, listen, um, uh, without, without making a judgment on Labor or Liberal, state or federal, what, what I'm hoping is one of the good things that we learned as a country out of COVID is that the national cabinet process um, can be beneficial. And what I'm hoping is that... Um, uh, the commitment that National Cabinet gave that interim strengthening Medicare task force only a matter of weeks ago that they will remove barriers to practitioners, including pharmacists and nurses, paramedics and a whole raft of primary healthcare providers practising to their full scope, um, that they will look at ways to do it. Um, and um, the, the most obvious way 
um, uh, before all of them is to is to follow the lead of Palaszczuk and and roll that pilot out. I think that time frame that you've given as well, Trent, means that uh, it may, it's going to make for some very interesting discussions in the next negotiation uh, because obviously the the funding um, mechanism leading into the you know the next skilled government agreement is going mm. to have to encapsulate um, the delivery of these types of services in a in a more significant mm. financial way. Well, um, absolutely, and I mean, let's just talk about policy coordination. And um, as I'm sure all of the listeners are aware, um, uh, what services a an Australian can receive from what health practitioner is um, largely, almost exclusively governed by state and territory regulations. But you're absolutely right. Um, the Commonwealth's role in this um, is to make sure that their policy instruments, whether it's the professional programs as part of the community pharmacy agreement, align uh, with those services that states and territories are allowing in full scope. So um, um, I think that's that's a very interesting um, area that um, I'm sure will come as no surprise that um, my negotiating team headed by Anthony Tassani are looking at closely. Excellent. And that may be a terrific place to leave it as we gaze into the future, Trent, <laughs> and um, keep our fingers crossed that you and your team can um, uh, deliver the commercial overlay um, within the next agreement that is going to see the rollout of the pilots uh, work on a very successful basis, um, both financially and in a uh, patient care health delivery uh, outcome setting. I'm sure so, if we um, if we keep the patient at the centre and design a service they want, um, legislators will follow. Brent, thanks again for helping us gain a better understanding as to how Australian consumers and pharmacists are going to benefit from the expansion of scope of practice over the coming years. Clearly, much work needs to be done in the meantime for the industry and each pharmacy to be able to consistently deliver improved patient outcomes while taking pressure and costs out of the Australian healthcare supply chain. We really look forward to working with our clients to ensure they and, and their businesses are commercially ready to deliver on those opportunities. Thanks again, Trent. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you.